Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready. We're about to live in your head rent-free. Hello, Otterites. This is episode 157. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. All right, gentlemen. I'm sitting in the captain's chair again this month. I tell you what, I am worn out after this episode. I have done all kinds of stuff this month uh, for these episodes. I need a nap. You know, like studied and everything. I know. I took notes last night before the Isn't that awesome? That's just totally... I, I'm just totally... I'm taking the rest of the year off. No, no. <laughs> yes, so, today is pop culture. We're bringing you this episode from Studio R here at the Atrium, uh, overlooking uh, the vast expanse of my backyard, which really is just uh, uh, the woods behind the house. <laughs> but, you know, it sounds better when I say the vast expanse of my yard. And... Uh, what I want to talk about today, this is uh, uh, another case where I get to choose the episode. Uh, you know, we usually talk about how the rest of us are indulging one of them, too. Uh, but, you know, today we're indulging me. That's cool. And uh, this one is about George Perez. And George Perez is one of the, the iconic comic book artists of our uh, uh teen years, early adult years, and into uh, later adult. I mean, he's just one of the kings of the Bronze Age. Uh, and now what they call the Copper Age, and I don't know what modern well, stuff is called. Define Bronze Age for us. So, uh, well, Golden Age is from the beginning up to about the mid-50s. Right. Golden uh, Age comics are a, kind of a certain, very much rah-rah... Uh, American Way, Captain yeah, America yeah. time. Well, by the time you get to the mid-50s, it's, there's lots of horror. Actually, superheroes aren't as big. Right. Yeah. They, um, they wane very quickly after the war. Yeah. Certain so, ones stick around, but a, there was tons in the early times. It was mostly just, the DC characters that continued unabated. Although Captain America's yes. book continued through the 50s, but it got really strange at the end. Um, right. So, But anyways, then with 1956, you start the Silver Age. And that's with the appearance of the Flash, the new Flash. Yeah, in out. showcase number four. Mm-hmm. And then from then up until about 1970, I count the end of the, the Silver Age as when Kirby leaves Marvel for DC. Yeah. But the tail end of the Silver Age is the introduction by Stanley, Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko of all of the big Marvel um, heroes. Well, actually, that these are all starting about 62? 61. End of 61, beginning of 62. So, right. really, it's just a few years after the beginning when, when Marvel starts to dominate the Silver Age. Uh, right. Uh, and and, and, and so, there, there's grades of difference between those mid-50s Superman and Batman stories and the Denny O'Neill Batmans at the, you could say the beginning of the Bronze Age, you could say the end of the Silver Age. I think it's still the end of the Silver Age. Yeah, based on your criteria, 60s. yes, it is. It's late yeah. 60s. It's a, it's an early precursor to what happens in the rest of... That's right. The, the, from the right. 70s on. But that's right. It, it's, it's, it's the outlier that proves the rule because yeah. that template they set becomes the Bronze well, Age. What it is, is it's a new generation. That's right. You really, what I think best defines the, the, the Bronze Age is not just Kirby leaving Marvel for DC. It's a convenient but it's, breaking point. It's a convenient breaking point. Uh, but also, Kirby leaving DC is also one of the... Re- leaving Marvel for DC is also one of the things that it accelerates what helps define the Bronze Age, and that's the explosion of new talent. Right. Because if right. you don't have Kirby doing, you know, nine out of ten things at Marvel, you got to find somebody else to yeah, do you get, Yeah, you got to hire guys. Uh, or, so, or take guys already, doing small stuff. Yeah. Right, and this had already started. You know, they brought on Gene Colan... And John Buscema, John Romita, 
some of the really big names. And, you know, some of the guys who were early on, uh, Dick Ayers, he was still doing stuff. But, you know, those are guys that had actually been around for a while. Right, right. But many yeah. of those are waning by the time this is going on. Uh, by the time you get deep into the, the uh, you know, into the 70s, yeah, the, they, yeah they're, they're working less and less as yeah. full-time, which is a shame for some of them, because some of them really... Although, you know, John Buscema, he did Conan up through, I don't know, I think into the 80, early 80s. He may have gone all the way until Marvel lost the rights, but don't quote really? me on yeah, that. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm if he did that or not. Pretty because Conan had so many different books, and, and Buscema loved doing them. He yes. absolutely loved doing them. He could do them almost in his sleep. Uh, and the art never really suffered. It no, really no. didn't. When, when, especially no. when Roy Thomas was writing him, those two were just fantastic on yeah. that book. And not just that book, but, but several, several others. others. Yeah. They, yeah, they were a good pair. So, but a lot of the new guys that were brought on, the art was expanded to these other guys as Marvel had the opportunity to add books. Right, because they were expanding the, the, their, their right. books. Right, well, they got a new... Because they, they, they're having some success with these characters. Well, more importantly... Uh, what really starts expanding is when they finally get a different distributor than the one that does DC. Uh, because yeah. they had been limited to the number of books they could publish uh, by DC because they were basically using DC's distribution uh, channel. channel. Yeah. And once they finally get out from under that contract, that's when things start to explode. And you, and you can even pick the month. I don't remember which one it yeah, is. Yeah, you can. Because you see they go from like, you know, 12 comics to 50, to, to like, 25 or 30. You know, it's just well, and many of their characters were in double <coughs> in double forms. They had uh, like three or four books yes. that they had stolen the old horror title name from yeah. and gave them double billing for... Tales of Suspense. Tales of Suspense, um, Tales to Astonish, Strange Tales, and there's I know there's another that I'm going to... Uh, yeah. But... It, by the mid and they they canceled all those books and bring all yeah. those characters into their doubling the line for yeah. those into their own books. Yeah. Some most some most of which survive, but not all. Um, uh, what uh, Nick Fury and Doctor Strange are given about fifteen issues and then they're canceled. Doctor Strange is one of those ones that comes in and out constantly. He does, and Nick so, Fury kind of does too because yeah. uh, not as often. That's correct. He's not as quite as popular actually. Uh, the big buzz of Jim Steranko, who took over that book during the transition from Strange Tales over, he doesn't stick around but four issues. Right. And after that, they've got this character in this book, this regular one, and I know they tried. They brought in a Barry, Barry Smith was doing a lot of them. He did a number 12 with that, which was pretty cool. Right. Well, this is this is pre- this is what I want to talk about. All right, this, this, is, the, right. this is the genesis yeah. that brings what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, the point being that they're having some success in the 60s, and now you hit 1970, and they're in a position to capitalize on that success. And right. expand and the number so, of books, and they need more artists. That's right. And now there's this new, younger generation of Right, new so artists. they're hiring a bunch of young artists, young, young writers. And, you know, the same thing's going on at DC, because the old hands who had stuck it out were really the ones who were still in the business. They weren't really bringing out a whole lot of new guys until this, yeah. uh, as I understand it. I mean, there's always going to be some, I'm sure, but nobody at that time went into comics because it was a, a, a good career. Uh, unfortunately, because yeah. a lot of the comic guys they wanted to get into commercial art, yeah, and, yeah. And, but and yet, some of them really loved it, though. Yeah, some of them really loved it. So you start seeing new guys. Uh, one of the first ones that you see, and he really is with Denny O'Neill in the '60s. Yeah, uh, is probably the precursor to this. Uh, yeah, he, it, it, which is Neil Adams. That's right. He was now really Neil Adams bad. is the first hyper realist uh, yeah. in comic art, and just about everybody that came after him tried to copy his style. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, John Byrne is has years for years admitted that I've been trying to ape Neil Adams my entire career. Uh, and then when he finally got to the point where he felt comfortable with actually trying to be John Byrne instead of Neil Adams, yeah. uh, his art, I think, really got even better. Because uh, he admits, you know, this is the point where I started uh, trying to be myself and things took off. Uh, and so Neil Adams is, is kind of the first. And then the other three that I like to talk about, uh, you know, you've got Walt Simonson, uh, who really becomes more famous in the 80s, but he did some phenomenal groundbreaking stuff in the 70s as well, like The Manhunter. Absolutely. Uh, with Archie Goodwin. Uh, and then, of course, John Byrne and George Perez. Usually you think of those two together because they came about at Marvel about, about the same, same time. time. And they were both doing the headlining team books around that Surprisingly, time. Surprisingly, yes. well, X-Men was not a headline book. The, uh, yeah, exactly. That's, that's, yeah. It, it became that. It became but that. So both of them. And yeah. Yeah, again, I want to deal with George Perez mainly because uh, uh, George is uh, he's sick. He's got uh, pancreatic cancer, and he was told uh, just a couple of months ago that he probably has 6 to 12 months to live. And it's entirely possible by the time this episode airs that he's gone already. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully not. Yeah. uh, But... You know, that's where, where it's what at. prompted us to say, let's do this now. Right. Yeah, yeah and George is also representative. He's probably the best known of the group, uh, but he's also representative of a lot of minority artists and writers who come on board at this time. That, you know, as a kid, you know, I never really thought much of it because, you know, I didn't automatically associate, just I didn't have a whole, there weren't a whole lot of Hispanics in the areas I grew up. So I don't automatically think, as a kid, Perez is somebody who's a you know, native Spanish speaker, comes from uh, Hispanic. It's just not my experience at the time. Well, you, uh, you can't tell what a person even looks like right. by their art. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, you see a lot of that. Uh, there's some guys from the Philippines, uh, Alfred Alcala. Uh, oh, I yeah. Ernie Chan is another uh-huh. one. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Dennis Cowan, uh, black artist, very much so. Yeah, uh, there's several of these guys that are higher on, and they just, they bring different style, different energy, and in some ways they break the house look at Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, some of the guys, but now Byrne and uh, Perez, they probably do the better job of keeping the house look. Partially that's because who inks them, depending on what title they're on. Right. Uh, partially it's just because. Uh, they're very faithful to the characters that have been given to them as far as how they portray yeah, them. Not that the other guys aren't, but those guys also aren't given some of the higher yeah, profile books. books. Yeah, some of those guys, like Alfredo Alcala, did a lot of Conan uh, and Sword and Sorcery, which in the 70s was because of the success of Conan. Uh, there was tons and tons of uh, let's let's rip, replicate this again. Most of those didn't succeed. Right. But, Slayer. Yeah, exactly. And uh, <clears throat> the DC implosion was part of that. I mean, Mike Grell's Warlord was about the only one to come out yes. of there uh, and survive for any length of time. But nevertheless, these artists were given opportunities uh, in in varying other things. Savage Sword of Conan is a great one because you yeah. have a lot of these guys because they can draw black and white and they're very good and they're very detailed at that. So they give them these type of jobs. And next thing you know, they're they're filling in. Ernie Ernie Chan, who went by Ernie Chua for a while. Yes. Uh, he was at DC also doing a Batman book. I mean, he, oh yes, that's right. And, yeah. and yeah, he was doing Justice League covers around this time, and he did a lot of work for them. And yeah. that's that's pretty high profile stuff because that cover is what sells the book in many right. ways. Right. So you know, this is an interesting time <coughs> when the uh, the industry transitions to a much more diverse workplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, still not 
as diverse as it is now. There's honestly, when you see the artists and the writers that are being promoted now, uh, it's almost all some kind of minority. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just pointing out mm-hmm. that you know that's the point where it's gotten to. Where uh, I, I don't know if it's just it's a, just a, it's a field that is of interest and is more open than it has ever been. Uh, yes, far more open that's than right. it has and, ever and been. And people want this. Yeah. Yeah. And whereas before yeah. it was like it's I'm an artist. Honest. Well, I can get work here. Let's yeah. do that. As long I don't care, as long as you're good, I don't care what you look like. Well, that's right. I mean, there's a lot of really good art. I thought there's also a lot of really bad. I was going to say. I was going to say. You know, but there's still a lot of good. So Perez is uh, probably the the best known example of one of these minorities that have uh, taken the the comic world by storm, and he's known as just a really great guy. Uh, he's got one of the best reputations uh, to this day. Uh, always loved to do conventions, always a smile, great relationship with the fans, always willing to have his picture taken with a pretty girl. Uh, right. If you go on Facebook to, to Perez groups and you see <coughs> pictures of him, it's always with one or two really hot cosplayers cosplaying one of his characters. Uh, you know, which, and he's always got this big-ass grin on his face. And I always wonder what his wife Carol thought about those, but <laughs> she obviously didn't mind because she's... Yeah, he's been married to her for like 40 years. Yeah. Uh, they've been together forever. It's his only wife. They ha- have no kids. Uh, I, you know, not sure why. Never really talked about. <clears throat> but they have no kids. And, um, you know, he's he's been in the business since the early 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did Creatures on the Loose early. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, I'm pretty sure that's before he picks up uh, the Avengers. Uh and I honestly have to look up to see all the books they did, but I know that's probably the uh, the most famous one because that's Manwolf, right? Uh, that was that he was early on, and surprisingly, he's given the Avengers with issue one forty one, right? And this is before he's given the Fantastic Four. This is right? before he touches the Fantastic Four. That's right. Four. And I had forgotten what order those worked in because now he was an assistant to Rich Buckler, uh, and that's how he got his foot in the door. Oh, okay, because Rich Buckler. Was the artist of the Fantastic Four right? Uh, first, it's Kirby, then it's John Buscema, and no, no, well, uh, Romita, yeah, then Buscema. But then Romita was quick, though. I mean. He was on there for quite a, quite a few issues, yeah. yeah. But I mean, it wasn't, it, yeah. And but because the FF is still one of the flagship titles, yes. yes. Uh, Buckler has taken over that successfully, uh, and is doing. You know, I liked Buckler's art; I really yeah. did. Well, you know, Joe Sinnott, uh giving it the house look, that yeah. Kirby-ish look. Really, it's the Sinnott look. Yes, that uh, really has a lot to do with that. Correct, it keeps it? the style the same. Very much so, and that and that. But Perez was different, even with that, though. Well, it's the detail. That's the de- that's but exactly right. But he's this young guy, though, and he's given the Avengers. Uh, he's never done a big team book before, but somehow he's talked them into giving the or they've decided to give it to him. Yeah, and it really is the first place where, it, 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 with his first opportunity, he shines with a team book. Mm-hmm. He's known as the team book artist. Yeah. He juggles it, this all those characters kind of better a, than anybody. At a crucial point for this title as well, it's hitting its stride. And some mm. of the most famous stories are coming under his... They're uh, coming up. Under his art. Yeah. I, I don't know if it, you could say it's hitting its stride at this point. Because, I mean, it's, it's, you're talking about over 10 years now. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, well, it's, I mean it's, you well, had where you had the transformation where... Cap is brought into the to the stories and that's very early. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, but it, it's it's at a place where there are a ton of fans of this book, 
And like I said, it's, it is a flagship book. It like is, and Fantastic it has Four. waned in many respects at the sales at the time. This is around the time of the Swordsman, the Celestial Madonna. It's yes, right after that. It's right after that's when he comes in, and it, it needs a refresh. Uh, and they've kind of, you know, they've let the Vision and the Scarlet Witch get married, which was not an easy thing to make happen, by the way, but they did. Uh, and that had been laid down, and kind of he's handed this plate of. It's not been, this, uh, I think, the Swordsman and the Celestial Madonna business. I don't know, I forget who the artists were. It just wasn't selling. Uh, Sal Buscema was, Sal, uh, some was on that, I think. And, and there were uh, and there were a few other things that it just didn't... Actually, Don quite, Beck was on a lot of those. That's exactly right. And Don, who had been an Avengers artist early on, too. But for whatever reason, the book needed some life. Yeah. And they picked the right guy at the right time that needed right. it. Again, he revitalizes it and... It's a the fresh art look. Is, the art's tremendous. Like you said, it's 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 moving towards this kind of a realism. Mm-hmm. And now, the interesting thing about it is that the first thing he's asked to do is to create the looks for the Justice League, ver- or the Marvel version of the Justice League, which is the Squadron Supreme, or the Squadron Sinister, depending on... Mm-hmm. Actually, some of that was already done, right. come to think, because that was done before this. It was, <coughs> but nevertheless, he still... But he he, he, he took it, it as far you know, he took it even farther, yeah. and I think he, he adjusted some of the, the, the characters and costumes as well, uh, which so you've got two large super teams that he's dealing with, and he's he's just filling the page with detail. I remember one panel where uh, in it might not have been the Avengers, it might have been the Fantastic Four, where he's filling the background with just cross hatches. It's like, dude, you don't need to do that. That's just more work for the inker. I'm surprised the inker didn't just you know erase it because <laughs> why do you need it? And so you know he's he's bringing that to it and he and he, he draws in a style that is polished. And it's not that the artists who came before him were not polished, but it's just it's taking it to the next level. It's like there's a lot of depth to the panels. Yeah, and he fits a lot in each of these panels. Now, if you look at a comic from this era, you know, early mid seventies, you know, there's six, eight, nine, ten panels sometimes. You know, whereas nowadays, that's like five pages worth of panels. Yeah. And so, you know, the amount of time that would take him to do those pages was actually kind of detrimental because he had a hard time doing a full book every single month. Right. And he kind of got, uh, in both of those books, he would have to have either fill-ins or reprints as they went along. Yeah. Sooner or later, he'd get further and further behind. Well, we got to fix it, we got to fix it, we got to fix it. Uh, which is kind of where where that ended up, but people still, you know, would buy that book, and a lot of it was because those books were him. Yeah, he became that. So you know, he's the uh, the artist on some of the 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 greatest uh, right. Avengers stuff. Right. In his first and second run there, because you know the one forties, uh, he did a few in the one fifties, then came back for several in the one sixties, uh, which which. When I first started reading The Avengers was right around uh, 159, which is Graviton. And you did, yeah. Uh, no, he did not do 159. No, that was... Uh, uh, that was... Uh, Sal Buscema. Sal Buscema. That's right. And then, uh, you know, he picks up with 161, which is uh, where uh, Ultron comes back. Yep. Yes. And that's just, just phenomenal stuff. And I was just enraptured by this. Right, right. And it's tremendous. The, those Ultron stories... From 160s to 170s are tremendous stories. Yes. And he's working in an era of these, these Avenger stories are some of the ones that then get 
kind of transformed into the films. Um, to a degree, I mean, these the collector, that yeah, era. Yeah, well, and, yeah, the, and the stuff that he worked on. I mean, those concepts originated before him, but a lot of the stuff that that you know, some of the looks you'll see uh, sometimes come from him. Um, you know, it just, it just kind of depends on what they yeah. decide to pull out of it. Yeah, uh, like you know, the 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 whole thing with. Um, um, well, actually, the stuff in the films comes more from some of his later stuff, uh, yeah. like the Infinity Gauntlet. Yes, that's uh, that, later. That, but that Thanos is, later. is a character that goes to this era as well, uh, but doesn't appear in the Avengers. Uh, he's he was an Iron Man and uh, Captain Marvel warlock uh, uh, villain. Well, there is the Avengers Annual, though. Yes, that's true. But it's, 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 that's a crossover. Yeah, yeah. it is. But it's uh, yes, they, but it's tied mean, to the Collector. Thanos, I think, appears in the Michael um, saga a little bit. No. No. Nope. Oh, it's not one of the characters that takes notice of <coughs> the Michael saga? Uh, I do not think so. Uh, okay. Doctor Strange does. Silver Surfer does. You know, but... but the Watchers. Yeah, but I, I, don't, I don't think Thanos does. Somehow, or not, I, that's my first introduction to Thanos. It's somewhere in that run. I can't remember. But basically... That's probably the annual. Yeah, it's probably is. Yeah, but it, it's it's the set of stories that include these uh, Count Nefaria. Now that's Ron. John Byrne. I know those three. That those but it's three. the same era. It yeah, it's the same, same era. era. Yeah, same era. And then uh, again, the Michael saga, which is not a ton of Perez, but there's a couple of Perez. Yeah, he, he does there. the setups for it, and then uh, he's moved on. I, uh, you know, I'm not sure exactly what he's doing at that point because I'd have to go back and look. Yeah. Uh, but kind of by the 180s, he's taking a break. From, yeah, I think the by 80s. then he has probably moved on to... Um, he might even be at DC by then. Yeah. Um, although I don't think so. I think that's that's still 70s. I mean, I don't think he's at DC until about 1980. Um, but, you know, he's he's off doing something else. Yeah, it would be 78, 79 is yeah. all the way through. Um, he's probably doing Marvel 2 and 1. Cause he, he did a yeah. bunch of Marvel 2 and 1 uh, with the thing. Because even though the one the gore stuff... Is still burn, yeah. That's still in the seventies, I think. But he comes in the He does come back in the well, late nineteen seventies. Yeah, I'm sorry. Right. Oh yeah. The one nineties, you know, one ninety four. Oh yes. And he, he runs through two hundred. Yes. And after burn, he does the about the next ten issues, ten twelve issues. That's right. And some of uh, those were many of those were very very good. Yes, that's yeah. uh, uh, just some fantastic stuff. Uh, very creative visually yeah. as always. But he's, Again, he's doing the Fantastic Four about the time. He had done some two hundred. Yeah. Um, he had uh, did he actually uh, I don't know that he did a whole lot in the the nineties, uh, the one nineties. I don't think he did any in the the two hundreds. Uh, matter of fact, I, I don't know that he ever came back to the Fantastic Four. No, no his a, last cover was one ninety four with uh, Diablo, if I recall correctly. Yeah. No, no, no. Excuse me, one ninety seven with the Return of Reed Richards' powers. That was his yes, last. Yes, that's a Perez. That was oh, yeah. Perez that's cover. That's Keith Pollard inside, but that's the last one that he did. Yeah. Uh, and uh, after that, um, they had uh, I forget who did one eighty ninety eight and one ninety nine. Uh, Kirby did Kirby, 200. Uh, Kirby did two hundred, and then it was kind of like, okay, we've pushed the reset button. Let's start over. Yeah. And they they brought them back and just kind of went that way. So, you know, the thing that that caught my eye early on about Perez is. One, how gorgeous the art looked. Yeah. Uh, but two, you could follow the story by looking at the pictures. Uh, I call the, the Bronze Age, especially with these four that I mentioned, uh, Simonson, Adams, Byrne, and Perez, uh, they, they are visual storytellers. 
and uh, I told this to Byrne once. I met him at a convention, and I had mentioned how I thought he was doing some of the best work in the industry. And he started to poo-poo it because you know he, he he does not suffer sycophants. And I said, no, no, let me explain. Your your storytelling is what I'm talking about. And then he started taking me seriously because I was making a, a, a thoughtful comment, not just blowing smoke up his rear end. And but I meant it though. He, his his style of storytelling, his ability to tell a story, it was just it, it it's some of the most uh, phenomenal work I've. I keep using phenomenal, but you know it's it's unparalleled in many ways. Uh, how good all of these guys are at putting together uh, uh, an image that is so complete and detailed, yet contains just what is necessary. Uh, you know the details help set the tone, uh, but they don't overpower. And you know the visual designs up from all of these guys are just great. I mean, you look at Simonson on Thor, and the the visual designs there are just incredible. Just you know stuff that nobody had seen before. And he, you know, same thing when he was at DC doing uh, uh, Manhunter. That was just some amazing stuff because it had not been seen before. All these guys were breaking the mold from what had come before. Uh, now you could argue guys like Rich Buckler. Uh, it's probably owed a lot of that because he also is a great storyteller. Uh, and probably Perez learned a lot from him, having assisted him, uh, worked with him. And, you know, probably Perez ghosted a lot of those early pages because that was not uncommon yeah. when guys had studios and assistants, which is fine. I'm sure Perez got paid for what, for what he did, which is good. But eventually the work with Marvel sours because it was so difficult for him to keep up the deadlines. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sometimes, you know, he had health issues even prior to what he has now. Um, and it just, he had, for whatever reason, he couldn't always meet the schedule. Now, there were times when he met uh, schedules. He, he, by the time he got to DC and did New Teen Titans with Marv Wolfman, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he had done uh, over 50 straight issues. Of that, it's four years. And yeah. at one point, he was actually doing two books in a month mm -hmm. because they, when they did the direct only title, they could they set that twelve issues ahead of the uh, regular title and did another year's worth of stories there. And then when they got to the end of those, they were reprinting the direct only book. So you know, the it would just be it would appear on the newsstand a year later. This is when we had comics appearing on newsstands, not just in specialty shops. Right. So, uh, when we get there, we see him really take off with the creativity in designing new characters and taking on old villains and breathing new life into them. And just, you know, one of the things I remember from uh, seeing him on the first issue of the Teen Titans that I read, which I think was 19 or 20, was this thing where Wally, uh, Kid Flash, is tied up and he's got his hands behind him, and you see he's vibrating his fingers to send this sonic boom back towards uh, uh, the, the tower. And the detail on the fingers, on the gloves, with the seams and the little wrinkles that you see on gloves, you know, when you look at them, mm -hmm. uh, where, where it's sewed, it, it, just, it, it really just caught my eye. Yeah. And that's the kind of stuff that, you know, I looked at and just, I could just look at all day long. And... He really started to shine there. He had also done um, Justice League, I think, before he did New Teen Titans. Mm -hmm. That's when he went over there and did 
uh, when after I think Dick Dillon had passed. He had. That's correct. And that's and why that had opened up because Dick Dillon was the artist on Justice League forever. Very much so. Yes, and uh, and kind of from the uh, and I forget where he it. Dick Dillon dies around issue 190 or so. Actually, I think it's before that. Before that, it's 180s, 180, uh, 185, 184. But he'd done it since like the issue 90. You know, he's done a, well, Actually, you know, I think it's more than that because yeah, it's much more done, than that. Just, that's, except that he had some fill ins. If you discount the fill ins, his first issue to his last issue was more than Kirby's run on Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. So it was well over, I mean, it was significantly more. But Kirby did 102 issues straight. <laughs> Whereas Dylan did not, uh, you know, he had he had some uh, some fill-ins, which is fine, but <clears throat> so that was his big opportunity there. Again, a team book. Yeah, that's what he does. He really just shines on the team, team books. books, and he juggles these characters so well. And then eventually, he gets to do Crisis on Infinite Earths. Ah, uh, yes. In many respects, one of his masterpieces. Yes, it is one of the masterpieces. Uh, literally hundreds and hundreds of characters. And there's one wraparound cover that literally has well over 100 characters on it. And, you know, they all look different. You know, and it's not like some guys who can't draw feet, Rob Leafield, uh, and he hides those. You know, he just, he draws everything well. And he's a great draftsman, his craft. You know, that's the thing I admire. He's so good at what he does. Uh, so polished. Even early on, even though he was, you know, doing that crosshatch stuff where he didn't need to. Mm-hmm. The work was so polished. Uh, obviously, rough, still rough compared to later, but compared to a lot of the things that were going on, it was just, you know, just so far ahead of what had been done. It really helped up the game as far as what you could yeah. expect to see in a comic book. Yeah, Th- these were uh, these were important comics. At this, I mean, the, again, today. Comics are the biggest thing going. Yes. They were not in 1975, 76, 78. They were still kid stuff. It was still kid stuff, but they were establishing the idea that these could be really mature stories. Yes. Well, and, you know, that had started some uh, prior, because especially in the early Marvel age. Yeah, when it is the story of Marvel to a degree. You know, it's still not, it's still a little bit goofy version of of, uh, serious stories early on. But it's Stanley starts the, the movement towards you know these are real people with real situations with problems yeah and that eventually gets you to the point where you're doing a drug story in Spider-Man and then later in yeah. not much longer but Spider-Man was first <laughs> yeah. and then you do the drug story in Green Arrow and or Green Lantern and Green Arrow yeah yeah and these are the this is the era when they're introducing the idea that somebody's got to control the Avengers. Yes, you know this this introduction. I mean, Shield is there, but now Perez is part of the group setting up tension between Shield and the Avengers, mm-hmm. and this idea of who watches the Watchers is being kind of mm-hmm. brought into this, and it's you no, know, others really pick it up and run with yeah, it. Yeah, it's a really important beginning. Yeah, and he's and it's not there. that he's the sole perpetrator of that, but he's part of the creative team he, that brings it part of Yeah, and he's really important to that era of the Avengers. So, yeah. Now, listeners, as you can imagine, you can probably tell from these episodes, I'm not as much of a comic guy as these two. Now, these two here could write an incredible history of comics. Hmm. You, you could. Well, we probably could. 
You could write a team up and write a. You could write a tome, an encyclopedia history of comics. And we are not as knowledgeable as many. <laughs> no, but uh, we, we have access to the source material. Yeah, uh, but I am a huge admirer of, of George Perez's art. When I was twelve and thirteen, and reading the Avengers and reading Fantastic Four, uh, he stood out. Yeah, he stood out. He and Byrne were my favorites, and I was disappointed when he had to hand off the Avengers to someone else. Absolutely. And I'm like, oh, bummer. Yeah. Perez isn't doing this this issue. Right, right. That, that's It was a big deal. Yeah, it was, it was very uh, upsetting when he's doing the Fantastic Four, and you know he's got a reprint in 180, and then uh, you've got another one later with 189, just, you know, within the same year. And then the next issue is a fill-in issue, which is what they call an album issue. Yeah. It's basically where they rehash events from the team's history. Yeah. yeah. And that was done by Sal Busema. So, yeah. you know, there's two months there he doesn't even do the book. When he's on the, the Avengers, you know, he's off for four issues because he does that 161 and 162 with Ant-Man and Ultron. Well, and then that. they have George Tuska come in and do a uh, fill-in with some with uh, some champions characters, Hercules, and Hercules Blade. and Dark Star and and uh, whoever else I forget. Uh, Black Widow was in it. Black Widow and Iceman. Yes, and then Byrne does the Count Nefaria three yep. issue arc. Yep. And then you know he comes back, but even then you know he doesn't do everyone from that until you know there's still a fill-in issue in there that Sal Buscema does. So shards of mm-hmm. crystal doom, right? Is that one seventy one? I believe yeah, it's around there. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a great mm-hmm. one. That's Scarlet Witch kind of finding her place on the team. Ultron. Well, that's where she really shows that she's more powerful than you think. That's yes. right. She's the big dog daddy, and that's why Ultron separated her from the team. Yes. And Ms. Marvel coming into it. Yep. Carol Danvers. So which was all kind of, of a, that's kind of funny if you think about it because. Ms. Marvel was an attempt at the quote-unquote feminist book that they brought in and ran for, I think it was 18 issues. And it just, no, it was 23. 23, but it just didn't sell that much. They gave it two years, really. And it's now they got the It character. was a great book. It was. Chris it Claremont was very good. Was the writer. He was. Yeah, that's right. And really it was great. But yeah. it did not last. It didn't sell. They got this character that they, we, we spent all this time and energy creating... Well, we can't let her go. What are we going to do? So, wow, let's put her in the Avengers. Well, yeah, I, you know, it's, she's got the Marvel name, so they're going to make sure they, they milk that for one thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so she ends up in the Avengers uh, guest guest. Avengers <laughs> is a good. It's a good character. I mean, she well, is. Right. And, that's, really and they like, recognize that they just didn't. You know, what, her book's what gone. Do? What do we do? And that's what they did with it there for a while. Yes, and, then and eventually she did that great sin. How they got rid of her in Avengers two hundred. It's the one thing that George Perez says he regrets doing on the Avengers. Yeah. Well, because he was the artist on that issue, and that's basically where they have a Mortis, who's Kang the Conqueror at a later age, um, kind of sexually assaults her, uh, kind of makes her love him in in limbo, yeah, uh, and force her to give birth to himself to uh, bring him into our reality, into, yeah, and then she goes back to limbo with him, which like, well, she wasn't in her right mind. Very much and they so, let her yeah. go, and nobody said a word. Yeah, that was just a very... It, it was a subject that was taboo, but they had no idea what to do. You, you couldn't... They didn't well, realize what you could do with that. And you don't you realize do with that. Yeah. how badly that came across yeah. until fans were able to get on message boards and discuss it. Yeah. And then Chris Claremont, of course, 
undoes that and talks about how badly uh, the, the, the Avengers treated her when she's brought into the X-Men uh, as a, a, a sidekick character, supporting cast. Right, yeah, and they, they bring a lot of that mm-hmm. on, too, because you, you couldn't leave it like that. They, right, they, right. They, well, she was such a great character, and they got rid of her in such a stupid way. So, anyways, so Perez is now at DC. He's done uh, uh, Crisis, and then he gets to, he basically gets to pick whatever he wants. They've reset and rebooted the universe, the DC universe. Yeah. Not all books, but some books are restarting at number one. Wonder Woman is one of them. He's always had a, a fondness for Wonder Woman. He, Perez is known for the women he draws. Uh, one of the notes I made uh, prior to the episode was that uh, he draws incredibly sexy women, but he doesn't make them sex objects. That's right. He doesn't sexualize them. Is it fair? Uh, it a feminist would probably say he does because of some of the costumes. Yeah. But if it's really the reader who makes makes them sexual objects, yeah. then you might say, well, look at them. Maybe you could make that argument. But they're not treated that way in the script or by the characters unless it's to make a point that somebody's a, a real sleazebag. Right. Right. So right. Because all through this, uh, again, Scarlet Witch, Wasp, Janet... Uh, Janet Pim, Van Dyne. Yeah. Van Dyne, Janet Pym... Uh, Ms. Marvel, they're treated very equally. Yes, and that's part of the, the writer characters. as well as the artist. Because the yeah. artist could put them in the background, and then how's the writer going to bring that in? Right. So, you know, there's very much a, a cooperation going on. Right. I mean, they're, 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 those characters are respected by the other characters mm-hmm. uh, Iron Man and Cap and right. Wonder Man trying to impress her. Uh, right. Ms. Marvel, you know. Uh, you know, well, I'm almost as strong as Thor. <laughs> yeah. But not quite. <laughs> so, yeah, he, so he takes on Wonder Woman and resets that book. And that is, that quickly catapults him into an even higher level because he's writing and drawing this one. Yeah. And he does that one for a few years. Um, we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, and so he's on that for a really long time. And I think he, uh, he ends up ultimately leaving DC again because of editorial interference. Uh, he's doing War of the Gods, and there's a lot of interference there. And then he's on Infinity Gauntlet with Jim Starlin as the, uh, as the writer. He's one I could, could have picked for the, as a fifth with this, because he comes yeah. along at this time, yeah. too, and also is a great visual storyteller. And um, so he's uh, ends up not being able to finish either one of those, and then he kind of bounces around doing some independent projects and, and what have you before he uh, makes a really triumphant return to Marvel uh, in another return to the Avengers, which is probably a good point for a bourbon break. Yes. Indeed. So, Francis, you've been quiet over there for a little bit. Well, well, I am drinking... I am. When we started this here uh, episode, Robert had made the comment <coughs> to us earlier, you know, I've got a teensy little bit in like four of these bottles of bourbon here. Help me, please. Finish them off so I can go buy new. He has an excuse to go replace them. To replace them. So we have done our duty with regards right. to this. We've not drunk any more bourbon than we normally would. We've just been focusing it in different right. areas. So exactly. We so we've been taking... Uh, I pulled the last of your Jim Beam Black. Ah, now, did you you did this neat. No ice? No ice. So mm. I, that's one I think you got to have ice to well, really yeah, so, uh, at really this point, uh, perhaps, but you know, it's kind of done, you know, at this point. So, well, I'll go get you an ice cube. No, I don't think uh, it's got a bite. I think it's a little too medicinal without the uh, without the ice. Because mm. that really, the ice really explodes the flavor. To me. It's uh, and there's maybe some truth to that, but 
Uh, it's definitely a mouth bourbon. It, it, yeah. it works yeah. through there. It's not, and uh, which is I like that. I like the upper, uh, you know, uh, stimulation on the upper side, not the bottom side. Right. And it, um, it's pretty much stays there. It's with the tongue. It's with the, uh, the back of the throat and the mouth and all that stuff. It's not so much the sinuses, not so much the esophagus, but it's a right. Well, you know, uh, if you keep it in the mouth, that's where you really get the maximum flavor. Well, that's yeah, that's why I like and it. That's, I, yeah, it, it has been a very, time. very long time since I had this. Probably when we cracked it, hadn't had it since then. That Probably, was a yeah. long time ago. Yeah. So uh, I'm happy to do my duty here and finish well, that I off appreciate for you. that. So, Martin, what are you drinking? I uh, poured some of your Knob Creek nine year old to Obviously. try to get you closer to. Having that, and that, that's a really good one. Oh that yeah, is, you can't beat Knob Creek. Knob Creek is is definitely a uh, that's a top notch, a, a king, yeah. a leader in the in the marketplace. Yes, and a nine year bottle. That's so that's uh, real aging. Very mellow, very smooth, very nice uh, maple caramel notes to it. Good stuff. Different from the last ones I've had, but were spicier. This one's more of a sweetie uh, caramel again, uh, yeah. maple syrup type. Flavor right, good. Right, and so did you finish that? Because I, uh, I don't think I got the last pull, but I was trying to help you out there and get it well, down. Because I was thinking I pulled that, and I thought I said I left enough in the Knob Creek. I poured before you. Oh, you. Oh, okay. That's what it was. You poured. You went. That's why. So there's probably just enough left for one more. One more. One more pull out of that. Because I've got the Knob Creek. One. 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 Thin finish it off, Mister Creosote. So I've got the, uh, the same the Knob Creek nine year. Uh, again, because I want to do a really good quality bourbon for when we toast uh, George at the end of the episode. Absolutely. Because yeah. we definitely will do that. Mm. Oh, that's so good. Again, so smooth. <clears throat> you get a lot of this in the mouth as well, uh, which I really yeah. like. Yeah, keep it on your tongue. Keep it going. Yeah. Exactly. Soft drink and soft drink so you can really taste them. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Yes, we'll yes I am uh, now into, uh, let's see, we're into April, so we're coming up on seven months Yeah. Me. Yeah, uh, I I, I kind of occasionally still having one, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, trying to stick water, unsweet tea, black coffee, and trying to get my taste buds back, and uh, you know, just the coffee this morning at Biscuit Belly, I think it's Heine Brothers. Oh man, that was just so rich and wonderful. Yeah, just yeah. a great flavor to it. Loved it. Didn't put anything in it. Nice and black and bitter like my insides. I knew we were going there. I was. So, I mean, I just, I just, I, I'm really finding that lessening my sugar intake not only is good for me, but I feel like I, I can taste things. Right. Right. Um, we. Uh, I still have a lot of sweet to drink, uh, so I, I don't know that my palate has returned quite to the level of yours. But I do think I am picking up things more. I think you are too, because yeah. it's it's not a quick thing. Uh, so it's it, you know it's harder to to say oh yes absolutely but when you start thinking about oh yeah I'm starting to pick up I'm commenting on more flavors yeah. than, than yeah. I'm tasting so yeah I'm definitely starting you know, to pick that last up. Last time we talked about wild turkey. Yeah. Yes. And, and again, a, not an expensive bourbon, but the pears and vanilla and that stuff came through and I was like yes. wow I can taste what they say it's supposed to taste like on the label. I went right out and bought a bottle. That's right. And I've got a bottle of wild turkey stash for next time we're at Studio M. Yes, I, I, when I go to replace some of the bottles we have emptied, I plan on getting a bottle of wild turkey and a, a, a bottle of the double oaked. Because I've not owned a bottle of double oaked in a while. I've been out yeah. for some time. You know that Russell Reserve, too, is also a very good one. Too. It's, yeah, the same, it's the same group, yeah, yeah. The, 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 which we've used that before. We've had yes, that here. Yeah. I wouldn't mind picking up a bottle of Mictors, too. I really enjoyed that. It's, it's good stuff. Yeah, that was yeah. good stuff. 
So, anyways, uh, so back to, to Perez. So, you know, this pause here. Um, so, this is taking us up to about 96, 97. So, Perez would have been in the industry for about 20 years. Mm -hmm. Now, that's an incredibly long time. Now, think about this. All the great work that he did, and it really, it seems like a lot, but really, that it's not uh, in terms of sheer number of issues because he wasn't as regular uh, although at DC he got much better uh, mm -hmm. with his early years. Uh, that's about the same amount of time that uh, Kirby had been working by the time he started the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Kirby had been working from 41 to 61. And, you know, Perez had been working from the early 70s to the, to the mid-70s. Probably this is a little bit more. It's like 22, 23 years uh, for Perez. And that's... So, and then when you compare what Kirby had done, the sheer output, because he was cranking them out all through the 40s and 50s. Well, except when he was gone for the war. war. That's right, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, he cranked out stuff in the 50s like crazy uh, and continued into the 60s. Uh, so, you know, he's at the same age, basically. And when he comes back to the Avengers, uh, and he does that with Kurt Busiek. And that is probably his, his magnum opus, uh, for lack of a better phrase, uh, lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. uh, he does three years on this with, with Kurt Busiek, and some of the best work he's ever done visually as well as the storytelling because i think he and uh, music are uh, are uh, co-plotting mm -hmm. uh, if not officially certainly unofficially because of the way marvel method works and you know it's just some phenomenal stuff ultron uh, we would have words with thee uh, yes. i believe that comes through that period yes uh, very there, famous some quotation. great ultron works yes. uh, and there you know it takes ultron even farther than he's ever gone he literally destroys a country annihilates everybody in it yeah uh, there's uh, some new characters introduced. Eh, well, visually very good. You know, I don't know if they were really all that successful as characters. Uh, not really. Uh, Changes Scarlet Witch's outfit too, if I remember right. Yes, yeah. she starts. It's she starts to wear the, to recall. the. She starts to wear the gypsy outfit. Right. Now the thing that he said about her, because this is again Perez, I always drew Wanda in this particular outfit as if she wasn't wearing any underwear, which of course makes all of the nerds reading that just you know. Heads explode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but if you look at the, the costume, no, there's no way she was wearing underwear because of the way, if you look at it, uh, which, you know, when you're reading the story, you don't really think about that because they're wearing such skimpy costumes, anyways, on the women. Uh, but, you know, he did like his. 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 his, his voluptuous women. His mastery of drawing the female form was often unmatched. Yes. He was one of the, that was one of his great. That's why he was so good on Wonder Woman. Because he was able to bring that nuance and that subtlety and that beauty and that strength and all those things that need to go into that character yes. were able to be visually displayed so effectively uh, because of his unique talents. Yes. And he could draw truly beautiful women. That's correct. Not right. generic-faced women with, with big boobs and a big butt. You know, no. like some artists yeah. are known to do. Um, <clears throat> we didn't say the names, did yeah, we? No, we won't say the names. Because uh, at least those artists can draw feet. Rob Leefield. <laughs> See, I knew you were going there. <laughs> I mean, he's a nice enough guy, but, you know, uh, I will yeah. never tire of ragging out. And a lot of people don't. He kind of laughs at it himself. Yeah. So, you know, which, you know, for the amount of money he's made, I would be able to laugh at myself, too, for that. Uh, you know, Amen. no big deal. So, uh, he comes back and does that, and uh, he kind of hops back and forth with some creator-owned projects uh, and kind of works, I don't want to say sporadically, but he's... In the, the public eye, not quite as much 
uh, after he's done with the Avengers. Mm -hmm. uh, I know he, he did some uh, some writing and some inking on Superman when uh, it was relaunched with the New 52. Mm -hmm. He left that because, again, couldn't stand the, the editorial crap because they couldn't tell him where the character was going because he was writing modern time, uh, you know, uh, not... Um, contemporaneous with all the rest of the books. Right. Whereas the Action Comics book was when uh, Superman first started. But they wouldn't tell him what was going on there ahead of time so he didn't conflict with It was all Grant Morrison. Yes. Yeah. And he didn't tell anybody what he was planning. So it was very easily he could have, um, you know, they could have... Collaborated. Could, yeah. uh, well, they could have collaborated, but easily Perez could have written something that would invalidate something the other guy did. Mm -hmm. Whereas Morrison could never invalidate something that Perez did because his stuff came first. No, oh, yeah, that's right. Exactly. So, uh, eventually, uh, Morrison's whole issue, whole his whole literal reboot of the character was uh, cast into the outer darkness. Yeah. Uh, they basically just uh, uh, mixoplated it, mixoplicked it. If you can <laughs> use that as a word to try and okay, let's bring back the guy that we dumped earlier, but we'll do it in a way that. Well, maybe it won't validate. We'll just put them together. And well, he's yeah. dead, but we'll. Yeah, let's him. not even get into that. That's right. So, Folks and cats living together, mass so, hysteria. So Perez does a lot of fan work. Uh, he's doing the conventions uh, constantly. Uh, does a lot of independent projects. You know, in the '90s, he did several uh, I Robots, uh, Isaac Isaacs I Robots. Uh, he didn't stick with that because he wasn't all that. Just couldn't get interested in it. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know he's he's doing a lot. You just have to really be on the, on the eye out, keep an eye out for it uh, to be able to find it, because he wasn't necessarily always at one of the big two. Right. Companies. Yeah. And sometimes he's doing independent stuff that you know maybe you got it, maybe you didn't. Right. I did a lot of work with uh, Malibu mm -hmm. uh, comics before Marvel, before they kind of imploded. Marvel bought the characters and then didn't do anything with them, which really sucked because Malibu did some really good stuff. Um, so, sir, you've got some books by your yes. side there about. Perez, talk about those just a little bit. So, give the, people a, what, what can you pick up to get an idea of Perez's artwork? So, if you want to really get into his artwork, uh, oh, uh, the one thing we didn't mention was the Avengers JLA crossover. Oh, yes, that's right. He did. Now, he this is what that. he would probably consider his magnum opus. He was originally going to do this in the 80s when it was agreed to. Then the companies couldn't agree on stuff after they had agreed to stuff. And the project was shelved. He had he had drawn twenty one pages mm -hmm. or twenty three, and you know that's a lot of work. Yeah, that's a lot of work, especially for somebody like Perez who who does such detailed pencils. So he finally gets to do it. He does it with Kurt Busiek. So he gets to do the Avengers and JLA together, and you know there's this great picture if you if you search online you probably find it of Superman holding Mjolnir and Cap's shield. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, leading up to that, it's just a really great sequence. And, you know, again, the visuals are just phenomenal because uh, he's just that good. Yes. Uh, and, you know, like I said, he does some other stuff. Uh, he drew people at action very well. Yes, yeah. yes. He was a he great, or is, well, was because he doesn't do it anymore. He yeah. retired a couple of years ago because uh, he had heart issues. Now, of course, the cancer. Yeah. So any, any, uh, any JLA Avengers, uh, any of the Avengers uh, or uh, or other reprints of his uh, are, are just great to do. Yeah, they, they so, the, many of them have been collected. Oh, yes, so, absolutely. So they're, so they're available in that format, so, in, in the beautiful oh, printing. Logan's Run was one of the early books that he had done. Oh, I've forgotten that, that one. Yeah. yeah, that's right around the uh, time the movie came out. Yes, so that's when... You're talking 70s. Yeah, that's you know, when he's doing um, um, uh, Creature Creatures on the Loose. Yeah. 
uh, around that time. And he's, uh, you know, like I said, he had a bunch of independent projects. Uh, Peter David was one of his uh, uh, favorite, or he was one of Peter David's favorite collaborators. Uh, they did Hulk Future Imperfect. Yeah, uh, which was uh, really great. Yeah, Peter David is an awesome, yeah. awesome art. And writer. something called Sex and Violence. I remember that, which is yeah. a play on sex and violence. Mm-hmm. And that's what the book was about. Yeah, and that's another great one. If you want to pick it up, uh, it's it was an epic book, and uh, it was just really, really good stuff. Not superhero, uh, it's more action oriented, but it played on the relationship between sex and violence in media. Uh, so again, those are two great things. So this book that I'm first looking at is called George Perez Storyteller. And this is uh, just a great overview of uh, the artwork that he had done over the years and the various things. You get lots of pictures. Lots and which lots is what of pictures. You want. Which is what you want uh, with a character like this. And uh, the text is all about the, uh, the story. Uh, you know, or the, story, the story is about all the stories that he had done. And he, he just, again, you know, it, it's a great overview. It's about 30 bucks. Uh, and it's, uh, it's really a, 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 just an, an afternoon's worth of looking at stuff. Cool. Cool. Now, the next big book, uh, I forget what I paid for, but I don't think I paid uh, retail. I think I bought it on sale somewhere. It's called um, The Art of George Perez. This is published by IDW. And this is a much thicker book. It's forty nine ninety nine. This is like a coffee table art book. Yeah. is the size and format that uh, we're looking at. And this is literally, uh, decade by decade, samples of the art. Uh, actual pages of the art. Not a whole lot of text. You know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, there may be some uh, explanatory pieces. Uh, there's some paragraphs alongside it, but every page has art on it. Most of it's finished. Some of it's pencils only. It depends yes. on what you're looking at. Uh, so, you know, it really, if I'd gone through this, I probably would have been better off using this as the guide for uh, what he did when. Well, yeah, because he did, you know, we picked the big highlights, but there's many other, uh, you know, onesies here, onesies there. Oh, Those, yeah, because like, we didn't talk about the Marvel Fanfare Black Widow uh, four issue thing, he which did is, that. Well, oh, great. He did, did the cover of the first uh, DC Star Trek, which I love yes. that series. Uh, yes, he did. Uh, which was really, really good. That was, and uh, it was well written by somebody who understood uh, the franchise. Uh, and of course, the it was it was just uh, he touched so many things at so many times, and you'd never know where one of his covers might pop up too. Those uh, those would happen more and more uh, as time went on. Yes, the famous yes. famous picture there, which is you know shame this is an audio only podcast showing uh, a a tattered. Uh, battered Superman holding Mjolnir and Captain America's shield. That's, yes, which uh, actually has some cracks and, and divots. Which, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, I'm not really a fan when they did it. Because the first time they did that, it was, oh my God. Yeah. And now it happens, and that, and that far happens too, too often. often. I'm thinking, well, either it yeah. is or it ain't, you know. So, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff in here that, you know, if I went through all of it, I probably wouldn't even realize, oh my God, he did that? Yeah. Uh, because, you know, for a while I wasn't buying anyway. So I, I missed a lot of the stuff that he did. Uh, during those times, and uh, which is un- unfortunate, but you know he did a lot of stuff for different things. Uh, he used to do um, art pieces for uh, s- uh, some theater stuff. I think his wife was involved in. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, I could be wrong about some of that, uh, but uh, you know there are several pieces for theater uh, posters and what have you that are in here. Uh, again, if you just want to look at some beautiful art. This is a great $50 buy. And you can probably find this on sale somewhere. 
it, it is a really yeah, good thing. because it is uh, it is so very very good. And Perez, uh, in many respects, he he was complimented by inkers that worked really well with him, but I still think he's best when he inks himself. Uh, but he, he doesn't really ink himself that often. Yeah, I know, and I, I just, that's partially because he's too slow. Well, exactly, <laughs> and that's why when you get things that he's taking his time with, like the JLA. Uh, that uh, that you have, uh, and a few of those, or his covers are the best ones because he takes his time with his covers, uh, and, and the Marvel fanfare with the Black Widow, that's unbelievably good. Yeah, uh, and that's 12. a very simple cover. Very much so. Uh, well, th- th- I'm talking about the the, the, the second one he. Oh, the second her, one, yeah. The one with she's in the uh, sewers. Yeah, uh, it's enormously detailed, uh, and it is it is really a just a fantastic way of doing that. And of course, you know, his Justice League was uh, was phenomenal. Some of those were just stunning. Uh, we could go on and on about how uh, he's he's done just about everything uh, at different times. Like I say, uh, a few Green Lantern covers here. When he was doing when he's doing DC, he's doing DC. I mean, when he was doing Marvel, he was doing Marvel. I mean, he yeah, did, he didn't really do a whole lot of. Uh, he was at one or the other mostly. He's not right. You know, he's doing he's doing some stuff. You know, uh, with uh, uh, John Carter, War Order Mars. He did the Beatlemania stuff. Uh, that the Marvel Super Special did, which is, you know, that's a one-off that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> very, very weird. Uh, in, so, in addition to to those two books, uh, I just gave Martin, uh, handed to him, didn't give to him, uh, Modern Masters, Volume 2, which is all on George Perez. It's similar to the uh, Art of George Perez, or, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, George Perez Storyteller book, uh, in that there's a lot of samples of his work and an analysis, interviews, stuff like that. And then there's another one. Again, these two, Modern Masters, a little bit older, but the oldest one from Fantagraphic Books, which is no longer even an entity, I think, uh, is Focus on George Perez. And this is something that was published, I think, uh, right in the early, early 90s at the, at the latest. And uh, uh, it's, again, same kind of thing, discussion about the work that he's done and pictures of what he's done. And you know, if you're into comics uh, and the history, these last three books, you know, or uh, the storyteller, the art of, and focus, or not the art of, uh, modern masters, and the focus on, are great for getting a little bit of the history of the period that he worked in, where a storyteller is just strictly eye candy. Yeah. And it's some fantastic eye candy. Yeah, and if it were real candy, you'd have to get dentures by the time you were done. Because it's, yes. it's that sweet. The man was, uh, is, is truly one of the, uh, the greatest of us. Yes. Uh, I tried to draw like Perez many times. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, that. he's just... Uh, there's a natural... Uh, you can if you, if you know very much about comic book art, you recognize his work very quickly. Oh, yes. Once, you, once, you've, once you've seen it, he, he's, he's very... It's very recognizable, and it's in lots and lots of places. Right. Like somebody like a burn. And <coughs> Adam. That's why, one of the reasons why I picked those four. All four of them have a very recognizable style. Just like Jim Starlin would be a good fifth. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Because, again, a very recognizable style. The one thing you can always recognize in, uh, about Jim Starlin stuff is his big baddie is a big, beefy character. Right. Uh, yeah, like right. Uh, the like High Lord Papal or Thanos. That's right. Well, yeah. Thanos, when he first appeared, was not a big, beefy character. Yeah, that kind of evolved. Uh, that evolved. On there uh, uh, but all of his robots look alike as well. That's true. I had forgotten about yeah, that. Which yeah, which is kind of funny. We, well, yeah. you know, a lot of Burns robots look alike too. They do. They do well, which is great for the Doombots. I'm telling yeah. you. Because... Well, no, I mean the ones the Doombots are kind of already established. I know, but, but uh, the ones that uh, you know when you see a, a, a Burn robot in some story, you know they've got very similar features. They look a lot like uh, the Raj Two Thousand, yeah, uh, which is say, his yeah. uh, 
first creator-owned uh, character. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's just the man, it's a shame that he could not have had a longer, fuller career. Uh, same is true with, for all of these Well, guys. that's correct. I mean, you know, we, 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 we mourn the fact that they left when they did uh, yeah. because they're, they could have stayed on a few more years and done some really great yeah. stuff. Well, you know, Perez had to stop doing a lot of work because of uh, health issues originally. Sure. He had a problem with one of his eyes. He nearly went blind in it, uh, had a heart attack. So these last 10 years has really been hard for him to do a lot of work. He's mostly been doing uh, convention sketches and Commissions. appearances. Yeah, and, and, they, they do and, stuff yeah. like that. Uh, you know, Byrne has not done any, anything regular for pay except co- co- uh, commissions in quite some time. Uh, and he had done Star, uh, Star Trek... Um, uh, the, what was it? Uh, the picture book that he did? The, um, New Visions. That's what it is. Oh, okay. We yeah, take yeah. pictures of... Uh, from episodes and put new captions, rearrange them into new stories. I've forgotten about, yeah. yeah. And uh, he said that was, you know, scratching the creative itch for him for a while. But then he started a fan uh, fan fiction, X-Men Elsewhere. He's done a little over 30 issues worth. and But he's now apparently got some issues of his own health-wise. Right. Uh, he's 71. Uh, he'll be 72 later, uh, later this year, two days after me. Uh, He's yeah, still one of the greatest. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. So, and of course, Simonson is pretty much retired. Uh, he, I don't think he's done a whole lot of new stuff uh, since he finished his uh, um, Norseman, is what I think it was, mm-hmm. uh, or Ragnarok. Uh, it might have been both. I, I, he had done a um, uh, a new take on the Norse mythology, which is still very much in the ascendancy. which is yeah, it, which yeah. is his thing. That's all. He's always had that. Uh, that thing even before he started work at Marvel on Thor. Right. Which in and, many uh, respects redefined the character. Oh, yes. Um, and of course, you know, Starlin, he's just doing some independent stuff. He just uh, did a uh, new new book on Dreadstar. Uh, I was going to say, Dreadstar is one of his crowning achievements. Yeah. And I wish it was more readily available because, and I, I read them, your copies, many, many years yeah. ago and found it to be one of the great, in fact, it pained me when he ended it because it's, and he did. You know, he had everything ends in, in the way that worked. Uh, it was it was phenomenal. It was yeah. one of his. It was truly one of the because he was doing it himself, and you can tell when these creative geniuses like these guys are given the reign to do what they want, they got it. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. And, the, and all of these guys that you just mentioned, they they're, ex, they're excellent somehow. writers too. Yes, they've all written for their own art. Uh, and so, I mean, what McBurn was writing mm-hmm. and. Drawing, you know, the Fantastic Four. Well, from Fantastic Four or, on, he almost never had another writer. He like did that. a couple of projects where other people wrote. Uh, Neil Adams, uh, he was in and out of comics. I don't know what else he was doing, fine art or commercial art, when he wasn't actively doing comics. But he recently had returned doing some Batman mm-hmm. uh, and Odyssey some other things. Stuff, yeah. He did a, a Fantastic Four miniseries he recently. Uh, so, you know, he's he's been involved. He's 80. Yeah, yeah, and doesn't look it. Doesn't, and he does no, regular on the he's, convention he's circuit. He's 81, yeah. 82, something like that. So he's, and truly he's one of the there. great geniuses that yeah. we have. It's kind of like Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood does not star in a movie that he doesn't direct anymore. Has it for years. Right. And kind of these guys are the same way. as you know, I'm Neil Adams. I'll do it my way. And right. you'll sell a lot of books if you do it, if you let me. Yeah. Well, and, you know, all three of them got uh, really, uh, Walt Simonson, he did that to a large extent as well. Um, but I think he was also very comfortable uh, doing whatever. I'm not sure what else he has done, but he hasn't done as much as uh, I would like to have seen 
uh, in recent years. Well, you know, you know again, we, we could all wish for much more content from these guys. But well, uh, and the, also they are getting yeah. to the age where they would retire. Well, that's right, and that's you know that's kind of like they're the second generation. Roy Thomas in the writer side is kind of the same way. Yeah, because yeah. uh, he was Stanley's basically picked successor that ushered in that Bronze Age for Marvel. Uh, and I was reading an article just as before we finish this up uh, that he still does the convention circuit. Roy Thomas does yeah. a lot, and he recently signed. I think it was for eight hours. It was like in the tens of thousands of books for people. Wow. I mean, it's unbelievable that he would do that. I cannot imagine how he could do that physically. But it's like eight or ten hours straight of signing books. These are in the ten. I forget the number. I want to say it's like 80,000, but it's like, it's huge. That's phenomenal. I know. It's one of the things I really regret about uh, not having just done it early on. Because, you know, there were stories around that Kirby, if you just showed up at his house. Yeah. You know, give you a sandwich, talk about his art, and send you on his way. Send you on your way. That's right, yeah. But he would never turn away. A fan. A fan. Uh you know, so I never got to see him, but you know, when we were in college, we should have road tripped out to California one year. Well, yeah, because summer. he died in 1994. We were of the age. That we could have done it. We could have done that. Yeah, we could have done, yeah. done it. Uh, got to meet Byrne. Uh, and you've met him several times. Yeah, a couple of times. Uh, got to, to meet uh, Neil Adams and, and chat with him several times. A couple of times yeah. here in uh, town. Mike Grell's another one who's Mike Grell. Right I got around to talk with. Time. Got to meet uh, fantastic fellow. Yes, uh, I love Jim all Starlin. Love talking to him. Uh, spent a lot of time talking to Jim Shooter. At one convention. And that was fascinating. Yeah, he, he's got a very unique take because so yes. many of the books we were buying when we were really you know, into this as it was so formational to us, uh, he was the one that was in charge about the decisions that yeah. were made one way or the other. And I've always wanted to ask him, why did you do this? Or, you know, why did you let them do this? Or what was the... Or why did you make them do this? Because there's that. a lot of that later on at the end. Right. He or, was a little heavy-handed. Yeah, or, or, or question is, why did you see the need? You know, I yeah. want to kind of get into what purpose did that serve? Or why were you trying yeah, to... Yeah, he's one we could do an episode on. Uh, a his, shooter? His, yeah, his Absolutely, history. Yeah. Uh, but at some point, I would like to do a burn episode and uh, yeah, and some it. others. We we will uh, make a, a, this a regular reoccurring yeah. uh, mini series. Because you know, these guys are seminal influences for me artistically. Very much so. Yeah, that's right. They, and they, they influence where we are with the films. Oh yeah, very now, strongly. Very much. The casual fan won't know that, but no, the look of and and these stories and these characters. It's are very influential. Yeah. from this bronze. You know, age. Kirby obviously is the the prime source material, but you're going to see a fair amount of Simonson stuff in some of the Thor movies. Very much so. Uh, You're going to see uh, some of the Perez stuff, not as much from his later stuff, but um, you're going to see some of that in the Avengers movies. And, you know, it's just... uh, Of course, Starlin, that's all. You know, the Infinity Gauntlet, that's all him. That's right. All that that source material came from him. Uh, So these, these guys are just phenomenal. Uh, and, and when they do pass, which will be all too soon... We uh, shall toast them. We shall toast them again, but it will be a very sad day. Uh, so, uh, one since we are toast talking to, about Perez, a toast to Perez. Toast to George. Uh, Mr. Perez. I pray for a, a miraculous recovery, but if not, a peaceful passing. Amen to that. Please Amen. know, you know, I think you, he would know about the fans, but oh, yeah. he's got a ton of fans, and here's three fans yeah, that... Yeah. Three fans sitting here right yeah, now. We want to make this part of posterity. Yeah, I, because the internet's forever. And that's right. That's right. The internet is forever. So he's one of the ones I regret not being able to see in person. Uh, yeah, because he doesn't do conventions anymore. Yeah, would have been awesome. Yeah. So to George. To George. To George. 
All right. So, Francis, what's next? We're going back to history again, guys. Uh, we talked about the piece of Westphalia now. We're going to talk about the piece of Versailles next. So, there's a lot, and uh, these are talking about Napoleon, the end right. of this all that. Right, this is the uh, early 1800s. Early 1800s, that's right, exactly. Where did all that go, and, and what, what transpired between the two, and how that set up the future that would come even 100 years later. So, lots of great discussion on the history side next episode, folks. Don't miss it. Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes publish every Friday at noon Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And leave us a comment or review because that helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next week, same snake time, same otter channel.